Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg. Filling in for Tim Britton this week is one of the Athletics National Baseball writers and a guy Mets fans of a certain age know very well, Andy McCullough. Andy, welcome. I, I, I love that intro. Thank you. Uh, yeah. It's it's funny that it, it does it feel does it make you feel old to think that like Mets fans who remember you from your time on the Mets beat would have to be pretty old at this point. I mean, I, I mean, you're, like, you're I eliminating the twenty year olds. I, I literally was on the beat 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, like that, yeah. I mean, t- like it is officially 10. My last year was 2012. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very gray at the temples, and, you know, I feel I feel as old as the oceans, as they say. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, I know you've been around the 2022 team quite a bit, but it is always bit, good. Yeah. it is always good to get just a national perspective. In your eyes, are the 2022 Mets the greatest baseball team of all time? Because they are 12-5. and five. If they can fashion a schedule where they play the Diamondbacks during the week and the Nats on the weekends, I think the 27 Yankees are going to have a run for their money this year from the Mets. I I do believe that. But it's, I mean, it is a refreshing thing, I think, to see this hot start. Now, uh, Rustin Dodd, who took over for Tim on this week in Mets, pointed out, um, for the most part, the Mets teams who have started this well uh, have finished fairly well. They average over 90 wins. Uh, the 86 team started well. The 88 team that steamrolled the division started well. Uh, the 2006 team started well. The 2015 team started well. But... The 2018 team started 13-4 and four and finished eight games below 500. Why will that not happen here? Well, I think this is just actually a good team. Like, I, you know, and, and yeah, the quality of competition has not been particularly good. However, they obviously played very well against the Giants, who, you know, many people would... I mean, the Giants look very, very good, I think, again this year. And so that was encouraging. I mean, like, look, they're, they're taking care of business against the quality of opponent they're, you know, they're playing, which is really the most important thing. I, I, I like, you know, the rotation has not really missed Jacob deGrom. Obviously, you'd love to have Jacob deGrom, but it hasn't been a notable problem. Um, the lineup has kind of an array of guys who do different things. Uh, you know, it's deeper than it's been. I think, obviously, all the work that uh, Billy Epler and Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson did over the winter has, you know, really, really held up thus far. I mean, I think it's just a good, it's a good team. You know, the question is going to be, you know, can they avoid injury with, you know, obviously a lot of their best players are, 
you know, into their 30s? Uh, and can they avoid getting, you know, sort of run down by the Braves, who I think, you know, no one believes will stay under 500 for the entire year as they've been through the first few weeks. But yeah, I mean, like, it's just a good club. They do pretty much everything well. You know, the bullpen's maybe a little short, um, but that you can fix that, you know, at the deadline. Yeah, I talked about it last week on the show. It all feels very convincing this time. I think, um, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, uh, you covered the team in, in 2010, right? And that was a, a club that was <laughs> doing really well for a while, and I think nobody thought it was for real. This feels sort of real uh if you look at the and and i always you know it's way too early to do this but i sort of habitually check uh playoff odds uh baseball prospectus has the mets at over 90 percent uh fangraphs has them over 85 percent again like i think you can make a case that the braves have a have a better team top to bottom especially once ronald cunha jr is back but uh starting the the year with a five game cushion means uh as i've said before like if you if you look at it like okay reset from this point uh, 17 games into the season for both the Mets and the Braves uh, are the Braves five games better than the Mets or six games better than the Mets because that's what they're right. going to need to be to win the division at this point yeah I mean you're just you're just banking wins like I mean it, and like it's it's you can make too much of of like a hot start oh, I absolutely make- will no, but what I'm saying is you can also you can also make too little of it. You know, you can also because like eventually, especially in races that are you know expected to be pretty close, like the the wins add up. I mean, I covered the the 2018 Dodgers who were like sort of a remarkably talented team who played almost the entire year with their head up their ass, and uh, it required basically a you know 105 true talent win team to win 94 games or something to make the playoffs. Um, so like even like super elite clubs, you know, a, a slow start can be a problem. And so I think, like I said, they're taking care of business. They're playing well. The rotation has been good. Um, you know, the 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 thing that is the thing that probably most Mets fans were afraid would happen. This year has already happened. Jacob DeGrom's hurt. So considering that the team has really not missed a beat, like that that bodes pretty well. But again, health, you know, a lot of the you look at the age of a lot of these guys, they're, you know, trending towards their mid thirties. Yeah, this is the as far as I, I know the oldest team in baseball. I definitely wanna get back to the Dodgers a little bit just because of your expertise there and the obvious connection to the Mets have said uh, very explicitly they, they're hoping mm-hmm. to model themselves after the Dodgers but you mentioned DeGrom's injury and as we speak on Monday afternoon DeGrom is either in the MRI tube right now or set for an MRI and we are awaiting word on whether there is enough uh, whether the, the, the scapula looks clean and he can return to throwing but I think um, you know in a either case Mets fans know you absolutely can't count on on his return anytime soon it's it's a good thing if it happens but I think it's a right. it's the type of thing you, you you know we all know too well to uh to wait on you know you want to you want to wait until I yeah. like I I was the guy who on a podcast right before the season started was like everything's great Jacob DeGrom's healthy they're ready to go and then <laughs> uh that very day came the news of the injury um but like you said the starting pitching has been incredible so far. There, um, the one loss over the weekend in Arizona came in a bullpen game started by Trevor Williams, who struggled a bit. Outside of Williams, no one who has started a game for the Mets this year has a whip above one. Uh, that won't hold, um, but <laughs> it does. Uh, uh, what's that? 
Yeah, if, if it, it does, does whoa. whoa. Like, well, but do you think even without DeGrom? Because, you know, like, again, like, it's it's some of it is a small sample mirage, but um, McGill, especially for being the least certain member of their front foursome, uh, has looked like a... A, a better than viable major league starter to date the season and dating back to last year. And then um, Carlos Carrasco, obviously, there's there's always going to be injury concerns, but but Chris Bassett and, and Max Scherzer are more or less known very good quantities. Does this rotation without Jacob deGrom uh, have enough to hang among the best starting pitching staffs in the major leagues? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Like in terms of in terms of producing, yes. I mean, does it does it have without Degrom? Does it have guys who line up uh, as being intimidating in a playoff series outside of Scherzer? No, to be honest. I mean, I think Bassett and Carrasco both profile as middle of the rotation guys. Um, you know, McGill his stuff has really played up this year, and so we'll see if he can hold that and maintain, you know, both the stuff, the results, and the health, which is always challenging. I mean, you know, Scherzer obviously is someone you feel very comfortable giving the ball to in game one of a postseason series. I mean, DeGrom, uh, you know, if he's healthy, is generally considered the best pitcher on the planet, but, you know, some people do believe health is a skill, and that's just one he's not been able to practice uh, in the past year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but in terms of, like, getting to the postseason, getting through a season, yes, if, if these, you know, four guys with, you know, Will Williams is kind of the spot starter and they're, you know, kind of going to be shifting through to, you know, to fill that, uh, to backfill that fifth space. Yeah, I, it, it would be enough. However, you know, guys are going to get hurt. Guys are going to need to, you know, skip outings. And so you, you need Taiwan Walker to be effective. You know, they're, um, you know, they're, they probably will need DeGrom. Like it's, they probably will need him at some point this year. And it's just a, for Mets fans, it's just a matter of hoping that he's able to, you know, hold up, but it's just, it's challenging because he just hasn't given evidence in the past, you know, 10 months, I guess that he's kind of his body can handle that. It is a, a frustrating thing. There was a Anthony Como at, at MLB.com had a good story this morning, or it might have come out yesterday afternoon. I read it this morning, um, in which uh, it says that Der- Jeremy Hefner, the Mets pitching coach, seems to believes he's identified a, a change in how DeGrom was throwing when healthy and how he was throwing in spring training uh, this season. Uh, something about the way he jerks his arm back before he throws. And, and even Hefner said, like, I don't know if this is the problem, but, like, it's something we kind of have to try because it's it's a difference. And so you hope that that turns out to be the answer, obviously. Um, you mentioned Walker. He is, as we speak on Monday, again, like, it might be happening right now. Uh, throwing a sim game uh, and should be back in the rotation ideally by the weekend if everything goes well. David Peterson, uh, the sort of sixth, seventh type guy in the rotation currently in the minor leagues, has a 0.64 ERA um, over 14 innings, but I think uh, that is the less convincing one just because you look at the walk and the strikeout rates and, and they're not there with the rest of the staff. So uh, they do need, yeah, I mean, Every team needs DeGrom, and and getting DeGrom back as soon as possible is going to make the road look a a lot clearer for the Mets, but um, they need Walker back, like you said, to to some extent as well. Yeah, and uh, I will take uh, you know any excuse to to make fun of Anthony DeComo, who's a close personal friend. Uh, but uh, I, I I you know I, I do think that is an interesting uh, sort of story he had today with with Jeremy after talking about changing 
uh, just a tweak with Degrom, but that does that gives me sort of extreme like inverted W vibes with Steven Strasburg. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's probably ways to you know make his delivery cleaner, make him a bit healthier. But I think the problem with his arm is that he's trying to throw a baseball with it. Right. Um, and and Hefner just, says Hefner says exactly yeah. that. And, and to his yeah. credit, right? Yeah. Like he he understands that. So it's just like I don't think I don't know if there's going to be like you know a a magic sort of tweak that fixes it but maybe who knows i mean hefner's a sharp guy he's obviously done a very good job with uh you know with the staff and so um it's but i i just yeah that i was just i was just thinking of like mark Pryor and steven strasberg and all those oh man remember like writing about baseball in the 20 like 2009s i do i do i remember i remember when mark Pryor got drafted it was like oh like the good news on this guy is his mechanics are so clean that he's never perfect he's never gonna get hurt you know and like and every time you hear that about a guy that's when the guy gets hurt (laughs) um and in grom's to grom's case i've 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 made this point before like it almost feels like He's too good. Like start like maybe the human body just like is in no case is built to throw the ball as hard as he does as consistently as he does. Yeah, I mean, I his his increase in velocity does. I don't. Maybe it's causation and correlation, but like there does seem to be something there that this guy went from throwing. 93 94 95 and being a really good pitcher and now he throws 99 and he's hurt all the time right i I mean i i don't i mean maybe i'm an idiot but like that there seems to be some sort of correlation but at the same time it doesn't seem like you're going to be able to say like hey jake like why don't you take a take a little bit off like how do you yeah because it's yeah because it's just his his delivery is like so uh, explosive almost you know it's not like he was doing anything really crazy to generate that but there does seem to be a connection there uh well you know as a Mets fan I will hope for the best from DeGrom but sort of uh look at it with a little bit of of healthy skepticism because uh we've all heard the story before again DeGrom is just an an unprecedented dude in so many different ways that like uh we say you know Brandon McCarthy and Michael Waka had this injury, but like Brandon McCarthy and Michael Waka are not Jacob Degrom. Um, with you know they're fine major league pitchers, but they're no you know only only as Jake Arrieta said, like Jacob Degrom might when he's healthy is maybe the best pitcher to ever stand on the mound on like an inning by by inning basis. Uh, I guess Pedro Martinez in in his heyday would have a certainly have a strong yeah. case there, and and Clayton Kershaw. Randy Johnson hits. would like a word. Right, yeah. right. I mean, there's there's a bunch of those guys, but it is that like that top end like this is this is the guy he's incredible yeah um and so i think part of the fallout from that is you you just never really know what to expect next Uh, with randy johnson one time he killed a bird and with jacob (laughs) Degrom, like now he it seems like every time he throws four innings it something acts up yeah it's uh yeah well, you never know what you're going to see at the park. In brighter news, uh, you wrote a very nice piece last week on Francisco Lindor, um, and it all—it's about how how uh, about how positive he seems this season, about the nice start he's off to. He's he's playing honestly like an MVP candidate to date. Again, it's 17 games. We don't really want to read too much no. into that, but. Um, it all lines up because you know we we've seen players struggle in the first year of big contracts before. Carlos Beltran obviously comes to mind, mm-hmm. um, and Tim and I have talked a little bit about how you know, all the veterans they added this offseason, the very professional type players they've put around mm-hmm. Lindor, definitely take the pressure off of him a little bit. 
but make me believe and I'm and I, I do I'm with you like I'm not trying to doubt your article um, but why are we certain that this is a real change and not something we see when a guy gets off to a hot start because it seems like everybody's going to be in a good mood when they're when they're playing really well oh I, I don't know I mean I you know I, I, yeah I mean who, who can no say don't say I don't know of, tell me it, I'm wrong yeah I, I don't know if you're wrong. okay I mean like it's up to him you it's can dig in me, dig I in no, I don't care. Like, I, <laughs> I just wrote that he was playing well. Uh, no, I mean, like, I think that I think that as you and Tim have discussed, the composition of the lineup and the clubhouse uh, are be- are redound to positive production from Lindor. Maybe, uh, you know, he has said that he feels, uh, you know, he, he, he probably took on too much responsibility in 2021 in terms of trying to be uh you know a vocal leader in the clubhouse in terms of trying to justify you know the massive contract he had um and in terms of trying to produce at the plate in a lineup that frankly was just not as good as this one Mm -hmm. um you know and i think it manifested in production that was kind of below his normal rate and some kind of you know goofy incidents that become embarrassing because you know the Mets just have that unique ability to uh you know turn silly stories into sinister ones um so yeah I mean like again he's a very good player I mean that's the that is the thing now is he a you know a 975 OPS player probably not but if he's 850 playing the defense he does, you know, stealing the bases he can, he's a five, six, seven win player. And that's not who he was last year. And I think, you know, that is the sort of production that the Mets are paying him for. And I think he he seems like, at the very least, at, you know, after a hot start to start the year, he seems like he's in the sort of place where he can maintain that. I guess we'll see, though. It's really like it's up to kind of him to continue to produce, you know? One of the silly things I think you're referring to is, of course, the the infamous rat raccoon incident yes. in which uh, we, don't, <laughs> yeah. we don't know exactly what happened, but clearly Jeff McNeil and, and Francisco Lindor ha- had some sort of altercation in the in the clubhouse tunnel, yeah. um, came back saying that their fight was over whether it was a rat and a raccoon. And, and I thought actually that was like kind of a, a funny way to handle it because no, no one thought that that's what happened. But what are they going to say um, in reporting on? Well, but here, but here's a question though, Ted. Like, okay, why don't they just say we had an argument about positioning and we solved it? That's the thing. That is, that's that is the part good, that, like, that is a good question. Because, like, because it's a PR always, spin. Because we know it's a PR. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It's like it's part of the but dance. Like, it's part of the dance, right? But this is, but this is like, I never understand why why teams and play. Just say what happened. Yeah, we had an argument and we said we figured it out. Uh, yeah, I now, mean, like the- I, and in that case, I think you're right because because everyone knew what happened, and so yeah. like because my my instinct is to say like well because and and as a reporter and journalist like it's sort of the, the thing you hate to say but like it, this is a media culture in New York where things sure. things anything you say that's anything you say to step your step out of line can and will be used against you later in the season. Yes. Like, I remember um, the day Yoana Cespedes and Noah Syndergaard arrived at spring training on horseback. I remember hearing, mm-hmm. like, other reporters, like, sort of salivating about, like, what if if Cespedes gets <laughs> off, if Cespedes gets off to a start, a, a poor start here, like, this is what my lead is going to be, referring yeah. to this horse day when he arrogantly uh, arrived on horseback. And so, like, I, I understand the need to put a PR spin on things, especially in New York where there is this, like, um, you know, 
spirit of one-upsmanship in the media and and try and yeah it's a a more aggressive environment it's a more aggressive environment than than a lot of other markets i i just think like in situations like that you know like just say what happened and then you know yeah it'll become the thing that like if he's not playing well in two months, it'll be Lindor who got into a spat with Jeff McNeil two weeks ago or whatever, rather than Lindor who got into a spat with Jeff McNeil and made up some story about a raccoon. You know, right. it's just it's going to be there either way. So just I don't know, say what happened and move on. Yeah, I mean, and and it's sort that's of that's neither here nor there, right? And then there was that there was the whole thumbs down thing with Javi Pies. There's like there's there there was that was hilarious. That I thought so too, and like I didn't really I don't know like I I kind of like again it was like the type of thing like once they explained themselves you're like ah you know. No, like, yeah, you're frustrated. Like, I, I like, and I- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I don't know. I don't, I, maybe I'm not sensitive enough as a fan, but it's like, yeah, you, like, if I, if I'm, if I have the right to boo you, like, you absolutely have the right to boo me back. Uh- I think it's, I thought, you know, I understand why fans were upset. I'm not a Mets fan. I'm a, you know, purportedly a journalist. And so I thought it was, you know, amusing. Like, I thought it was interesting. Like, and and that's, you know, like we, we, you know, we say like sort of, you know, we play loud and let the kids play and show your emotion. Well, what if the emotion they want right. to show to the fans is, hey, screw you. Yeah, right. Like, I, I think about that with, like, with, um, I forget the pitcher who who slammed his glove to the ground after it was a guy on the Nats I, I, a few years ago who slammed his glove to the ground after a home run and it was acted like it was like a. Oh, maybe it was Sean Kelly. Yeah. Uh, it was Sean Kelly. And, and people took it yeah. like it was like some sort of like cardinal offense that he yeah. was mad. But like, it's a zero sum game, right? Like, if someone Someone hits a home run and you want to say like bat flip it pimp it you know enjoy yep. yourself then you gotta understand that the pitcher's mad too that's a horrible feeling allowing a home run yeah i think this is this is like my one of my main hobby horses is that if we're going to encourage the players to show emotion we have to be willing to accept that sometimes that emotion does, is not fun like sometimes it's anger uh, it's it's a healthy approach i think right yeah. like we can't we can't continue as men to bottle up our emotions right you got to just come out and if you're mad if you're sad if you're if you're angry at Jeff McNeil just say so uh, did you get yeah. did you get a sense though um, and I don't know if you would but like when reporting on Lindor um, and I don't know if it matters right like if, if, if Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor become like mortal enemies and hate each other to the grave if they're both productive it doesn't matter you know like I, I don't I really don't think it matters but did you get a sense that there's any sort of lingering resentment there? No, I, I, I didn't. I mean, I look, I think we, uh, and I was guilty of this too, like when I started covering 
baseball like i remember one time asking like david wright like uh hey did you like talk much to jose reyes during the winter and he was like no why would i like yeah like like these guys aren't friends you know sometimes they are friendly but like they're you know this is a work environment and it's and these are work relationships and so they're not like these aren't actual friendships you know it's 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 different um so as you know yeah i mean i think it's everything is fine and they've both been you know productive thus far lindor uh especially so and you know the team's defense has been uh, a bit better it seems so it's uh you know it all all seems to be breaking the mets way thus far it does um something that's interested me in in the small sample returns to date um and we got a we got a reader question i'll get to but last thing um this is a minor thing uh, rustin had a nice piece on mark canna and his very professional approach at the plate uh which is mm. the word everybody uses for canna's approach to the plate because that, that's what it is he is a uh he's a professional hitter he's a guy who's going to work long at bats and and take a bunch of walks and uh he has been you know without having shown much power yet very much as as advertised as a hitter a guy who um has been sort of performing exactly the same way um which isn't who he is 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 eduardo escobar <laughs> um and and you know obviously like i sang a whole song about small sample size right and and i yes. i don't know i don't believe i can't believe that eduardo escobar is now this like super patient hitter not that he wasn't a guy who could draw some walks like he's always been like a 50 mm-hmm. walk guy for his career which yeah. is fine uh this season he's already got 13 in 16 games uh he's only struck out 14 times which is sort of like on pace with his career norm but um if you look like across the board at the plate discipline stats like he's taking he's seeing a, a half a pitch per plate appearance more than ever before he's swinging at the first pitch less he's swinging at at strikes less like it seems like um up and down the board he is performing and again it's 16 games um in one of his walks I looked I even went I went to the granular level to be like okay well did his walks come against guys who couldn't throw strikes uh one of them Mm -hmm. did uh the reliever Murphy for the Nationals who was going to walk three batters in the inning the first he walked was was Escobar but otherwise like he he it's it seems like at least to date like this is not like oh just a a a function of of the competition like he has actually been seeing more pitches and having longer at bats and and drawing more walks do you think like a 33 year old veteran hitter who's a very good player like either way do you think a guy like that can actually change his offensive game i mean to such a significant extent to go from a you know a 320 obp guy to a 390 obp guy no um but i do think he could you know finish the year at like somewhere closer to like 330 or 340 you know i do think he could you can get better um you know some of it i think maybe just be function of where he's batting in mm-hmm. the lineup uh you know he's probably you know he's had a, a good bit of it uh, at bats with guys on base and so mm-hmm. maybe he's getting pitched a little more carefully um you know he's playing on uh, a better team than he did for you know much of his time and like you know obviously like when he was in arizona the team was you know uh, fairly uh, terrible and so you know there's kind of less incentive to um you know take pitches and more incentive to kind of go up there hacking i mean that was also kind of going on in in minnesota as well so yeah i mean i think there's it's just such a small sample though i i I would i'd be curious you know give him another 70 plate appearances and we'll see if it is closer to to normal but like look like again it's 
it's banked. Like he's right. he's he's taken these those thirteen you know walks already. Like he's he's done it. He's been a productive hitter for three weeks, and so they can you know whatever he does from here on out. Like they've already benefited from this brief bit of patience, whether or not it sticks around. To go back to twenty twelve, like I I will never forget an, a post game interview I heard on the radio. Um, Ronnie Cedeno. I, I don't know if he had a walk off <laughs> hit or just like a big game. Um, and Ed Coleman, who the recently retired Ed Coleman, asked. Asked Cedeno like about his what appeared to be his improved plate discipline and taking a lot more pitches at the plate. And Cedeno said two things I thought were really interesting in the interview, which was one that like no one had ever really asked him to do that before, um, which Mm -hmm. was sort of funny to me um, and sort of uh, an indictment of the Cubs and Pirates teams he had played for. Mm -hmm. Um, But also like. It's really hard, you know, and, and like, it's, it's really hard to, to lay off the pitches you've been swinging at your whole life. And so that's why I've got like a little bit of doubt. Like even if this is like, oh, Eric Chavez is connected with Eduardo Escobar, who's watching Mark Canna and watching all these guys take these long, watching Brandon Nimmo and watching even like Luis Guillorme foul off a million right. pitches. Like maybe this is all like having a positive effect. But I think more likely you're right. It's a small sample size blip. And I think maybe uh, the lineup around him is probably having effect there. Yeah. And I think too like the the it, it could be something as simple as and you know as as someone who covered Sandy Alderson's kind of first tenure like he he's always loved on base percentage, mm-hmm. you know. That has always been an organizational tenet of anything, you know, of any club that he And rightfully so, right? And, right. It's like it's the it's not making an out is a good skill. Uh but like in, you know, back then and 10 years ago, like it still was relatively unique to have that as like your number one organizational mm-hmm. offensive philosophy. Um, and in 2022, it's just, it's, it's, it's part of the deal. Like in order to be a good hitter, you know, you need to be getting on base and whether, you know, that's through taking a walk, getting a hit, whatever. Like, but that, that is, that's been made very clear to guys as they come up through the pipeline. But yeah, I mean, it could, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 it's good for the Mets. Well, and I, and I ask partly because you're you're coming from having covered a Dodgers team that, like, to me, seems like the one club that does consistently uh, turn average players into excellent players and take you know scrap heap pitchers and turn them into valuable guys and like like that team that yeah. that sort of has and you know the rays have done it to some extent i think the the guardians with pitching and the the brewers i think to some extent like there's there are examples of teams of other teams that seem to be doing this but the the dodgers are the uh are the gold standard for taking established players or, or unheard of well, players and turning them into stars yeah, and also, I mean, there's, you know, like Chris Taylor comes to mind, mm-hmm. Max Muncy comes to mind. Those are the two big guys. Turner, Justin Turner. Not, right, Justin Turner. But Justin Turner was mostly on his own. Right. That was, he was doing that, you know, that was before Andrew Friedman took over. He Right, that, he was, Mar- that was Marlon Bird's influence, we believe. Marlon Bird yeah. and, you know, Doug Latta, you know, was a swing guy. But but if you look at Muncy and Taylor, those were guys who were in AAA, mm-hmm. you know. And so you have someone who comes to them and says, like, okay, I'll do whatever you say. I just want to be in the big leagues. You know, tell me, teach me how to play baseball and I'll and I'll do it. Whereas someone like Escobar, it's, he's like, you're paying me $10 million. Right. I'm not changing, you know, like, what would he And, like, I'm pretty good. So you know, just, like, I've been pretty good for yeah, a while exactly. here. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm a good player. Why would I, you know, make wholesale changes? So that's not the sort of guy you approach to, you know, you don't offer a guy $10 million and then say, like, okay, you need to change everything about who you are as a player. Like, that's not – but you can make smaller incremental 
changes, you know, whether it's just providing a little bit of insight, like, hey, these are pitches we're seeing you can't really do damage on. Maybe you shouldn't be swinging at them. Or like, this is where you should be. This is where you hit all your home runs from. And I don't know if this is true, but, the, you know, just hypothetically, like, you know, if this location is where you do all your damage, why don't you just hunt pitches there? Uh, and maybe for a little while, you know, it could work and it seeps in and becomes part of the larger skill set. I like it. Uh, our question comes from our friend Clay Davis, not the not the Clay Davis, not the real Clay Davis. It's a not the one. Is it, yeah. he's it's not his real name. He's pretending to be Clay Davis, but he doesn't stick with the act. He just asks regular baseball questions. But he's a good guy and he <laughs> listens to the show. I'm not trying to knock him. He's just not committed to the Clay Davis bit. <laughs> he's, um, he's, he's not about that life. Yeah. Um, he says he says can either of you? Um, and he takes a. a Sort of like a minor, like pot shot at, at uh, Tim and I both going to near Ivy League schools, um, and he says, "Tell me why in 2022 we're still talking about innings as a measure of pitcher stress workload." We all know this is silly. This feels feels more like a take, Clay Davis, than it does a question. But he says, "Yeah, then what, what are you talking about?" <laughs> um, how are we not talking about total number of pitches thrown or a breakdown of pitches that cause more or less stress on arms? Uh, to still gauge a pitcher's workload on innings seems archaic. No, it's a leading. Uh, that's no. a leading listener question. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I get. I understand his general point that like um, that there is a. It, it is an overly simplistic view to say that all innings are created equal. However, pitchers do say you know the the idea of getting up and getting down does have mm-hmm. an effect. So I you know. Well, but then so know. then yeah. what maybe he would say well, well then why aren't we counting up downs? Well, that those are called innings, aren't they? I guess so, but like a reliever throwing <laughs> might throw one inning across two like calendar innings or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, I guess what I would say is I'm not sure who Clay Davis is directing this at because um, I think most teams look at it the way he does. Yeah, it's just I th- maybe if you turn on MLB Network, they're talking about it a little bit. I think it's a pretty simple answer. I think we talk about it because like everybody knows, like everybody knows the standards for innings. Like if you said like, oh, this guy threw yeah. six thousand pitches last year, I have no idea what that means. Right. Like, and and I just right. threw that number out. Uh, I, that's probably high. That seems really high because that would mean a guy was throwing sixty uh, one hundred pitch starts, right? But like, let me look. So let like three thousand is probably a, a lot of. Wow. I would say three thousand. Did the math? Okay. If you threw 6,000 pitches and you made 32 starts, that's 187 and a half pitches per start. Like a Nolan Ryan that, season. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We need to we need to build a guy who can do that. I think Brett Anderson is the man for that. We need to get Brett <laughs> hooked up and let him go. Um so like I mean and and I always I like this is a besides the point, but I always wonder like what would cuz Nolan Ryan, you like like you look at through some of the games he had and some of the starts he made like this guy had a freak arm. And there's there's just like mm-hmm. that guy obviously had freak arm strength, durability. Uh, There's a start where he threw like 12 innings with 18 strikeouts and 11 walks or something. You know, like just um, if that guy came around today, like someone else with with freakish durability, we'd never know, right? Like what if, what yeah. if like one of these guys who there are some guys like Zach Wheeler who like routinely throws 200 innings and you know, he had he had two, two full years that he missed, but uh, it was the first example I thought of and it's a bad one. But um, someone, <laughs> if, what if Mark Burley, a guy who never missed a start basically for his entire right. career, like could you have gotten like 260 innings a season out of Mark Burley? And like the culture of baseball is such that like understandably, like we will never again know 
if a Nolan Ryan comes around, unless they start like committing to and players agree to like these arm sleeves or whatever else that might measure workload and fatigue. Yeah, I mean, I I do think is it is um, for understandable reasons. It's uh, it's kind of a, a a lost art. The just the ability to take down innings, the ability to you know, I always thought this was like CC Sabathia before um, things started to go sideways for him around mm-hmm. you know twenty thirteen. Like in his first few years in New York, that was a really unheralded skill of his. It was just he would he would kind of wear it. Uh, you know, better than some other guys. And I think that that has a real value uh, over the course of a season. I think, however, the players capable of both physically holding up under that sort of stress while also remaining effective are so small at this point mm-hmm. that like they're not even developed for. Like every every pitcher is essentially you know built up to a certain threshold and then you know we'll see how far within that threshold they can go and that threshold is like at this point it's like 175 innings um you know i think teams have just determined would you rather have uh you know five six seven guys who throw good 125 to 175 innings versus five guys who throw 200 they believe that it's better off for the long-term health of the organization to, you know, have just multiple guys, you know, just spread that spread that inning load over more players, essentially. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. fascinating thing, and and that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Like, I, that's clearly what's happening. Um, it's and I also wonder like the way a pitch clock might affect that moving forward, things like that. But um, we've we've talked long enough. I think uh, my answer for Clay Davis is just it's a it's a matter of language. Like it's just way easier to say, oh, yeah. this guy threw 190 innings last year, than to tell me how many pitches he threw. Just that much in the same way that like even knowing that batting average is a bad stat, I still might cite batting average like almost as shorthand because there are verbs for it, right? Like because you can say he <laughs> hit 300 or he batted 300 last year and you can't say mm-hmm. he on based 400. <laughs> right. Um, so I think the the real issue here is like coming up and then and like Clay Davis, you're on Twitter. You can you can start a movement like just try try to throw yeah. in come up with better words for these things and you might get more precise stats. But like there are a lot of factors people have to consider when making baseball takes like people listen to a podcast like this flowing so freely and easily and think like, oh, Andy and Ted, what are they doing? And it's like, no, this is like a seriously sharply owned skill we have. Yeah, I've been in the take lab all morning, just just you know, getting my my take blades firing up your Eduardo Escobar take. Yeah, I think I'm thinking really. Yeah, I have to go record a podcast later where I'm supposed to have opinions about Miguel Cabrera. So uh, I've definitely thought about him in the last five years. Um, so, yeah, yeah here we go. Uh, remains a very relevant player and hitter. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for for joining today. I I believe we'll talk again on Friday. Sounds great. I'll be around. All right. Uh, Peace out.